Bad at Parties is sponsored by Abbey Art Seattle and the Ballard Homestead, music, arts, and community events for people of all ages and incomes. With reoccurring events including the Moth Story Slam, Cathedrals, and The Round, there's always an event when you're in Seattle. Check out Abbey Art's online calendar for intimate performances by many of the artists featured on Bad at Parties. Learn more about this nonprofit organization and how you can attend, volunteer, and host events at fremontabbey.org. Hey gang, this is Andy Zook, and you're listening to Bad at Parties, one-on-one conversations with artists at the corner of the party. This week's guest is philosopher and writer Dustin Stoddard. As you'll hear in this podcast, Dustin has been working in a very unique setting, teaching philosophy with middle school students transferring directly into college. Now, I respect and am so consistently impressed with Dustin, and I'm thrilled to have him on the podcast. There's also a collaborative project that Dustin mentions on the episode, so listen for that if you're interested to take a peek into his work. This was the first ever morning episode of Bad at Parties, and Dustin brought us McMuffins right before we got started. So if I sound really excited about it, I was. Dustin also makes reference to his wife throughout the podcast, and if you want to know more info about her music, check out the episode with Abby Gunderson. Okay, here we go. Dustin Stoddard. Oh my God. That was so delicious. Thank you so much for putting that into my life. You're welcome. I really appreciate it. I'm glad I could be this person for you. When was the last time you had an egg McMuffin? Uh, it's usually when I'm really on the way to work and I'm really desperate for food or when I'm hungover. Right. Is today the latter? Yes. <laughs> Um, but it probably, it's been a while. It's yeah. been a while. Yeah. Probably a couple months. Did you karaoke again really hard last night? No. Uh, <laughs> there was a party at Noah's place. Nice. And, um, yeah, through a barbecue. Finished up, uh, my first week of a summer philosophy class that I started. Cool. And now I've got a four-day weekend, so. That's great. So you were like, great, let's come into this weekend hot. Let's yeah. make this four-day weekend one miserable day and three days of weekend. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's not too bad. Oh. Um, it was funny. Everyone was making fun of me because I was talking about how Abby and I sat down uh, on, like, Thursday evening. And we were at, like, the dinner table. And I just said, you know, I think since it's a four-day weekend coming up, I could I could probably just get smashed at that party tomorrow. <laughs> and Abby was like, you know what? Maybe maybe I'll get smashed too. Right. And I don't know. It, I guess that's <laughs> typical of our new like married status is that we we plan. Right. You plan. You would have figured been like, let's get wild. It's more like, hmm. Tonight I believe I shall get wild. Yeah. Is that prudent? <laughs> yeah. To our plans. Yeah. Why well, yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. That's so. And it's real. It's like, because you could be like, I think I'll get smashed tonight. Oh, but remember we have that thing tomorrow. Oh, yeah. you're right. Yeah. It's usually, yeah, I have to be a caretaker and responsible for children tomorrow. Yes. Dude, there is no kind of shit like the shit you feel when you are hungover and working with kids. Yeah. That is the worst feeling in the world. Yeah. Like, I'm sick. We're we're watching a movie today, everyone. (laughs) Dim the lights. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I don't know, it makes me feel just pretty... It, it makes me feel pretty bad because I like to be present in right. that situation. And yeah, that I think that's probably only happened once or twice. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't think I ever want that to happen again. No, it's, I, that can't, that's not something that like I've done many times. You yeah. know, I'm like, mm, this isn't okay in this situation. Yeah. Well, in so much of what you're doing can't be the, the typical, like a teacher might put on a mm-hmm. movie, but you're like, no, we are. This is conversation driven. Yeah. Like what we're doing is talking about these different concepts. I mean, I assume yeah. I assume that's what the format looks like when you do yeah. these philosophy classes. Yeah, I I think that I have to be pretty alert because in in the philosophy classes that I lead, kids are pretty capable of carrying on a conversation, mm-hmm. but usually I'm there to try and kind of snatch the really rich ideas that they throw out there right and then kind of highlight them and throw mm-hmm. them back onto the table for everyone else to respond right to. and they go by fast yeah. it could be nothing 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 glowing nothing 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 yeah. you're like oh there it is yeah i've got a i've got a point to that yeah 
Or I assume also the things that are like fallacies that you're like, hey, look at what you've said there and the cognitive dissonance that it says about what you said earlier. Like yeah. you're, you're having to not only notice the moments, but also carry the thought of what happened before to where yeah. we're at now. Yeah. 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 I kind of have to be like the, the ultimate active listener. Because mm-hmm. um, when I'm doing those classes, it's not about me sharing my own thoughts, but just helping students carry on the momentum. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of embarrassing when uh, a student says something and then the conversation goes dead and they're all kind of looking at me and I realize I didn't hear anything that student just said. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And that doesn't, that doesn't happen often, but uh, I, I imagine that's what would happen if I, if I went in. I, but I feel like that's so relatable Do you, in real life, you know? Like when you're hanging out with a group of people. Yeah. And all of a sudden there's that lull in the conversation. You're like, I don't, I'm not really listening to them. They're not really listening to me. Yeah. How do I change this? Yeah. Do you feel like because you've been doing that, you've been getting better about active listening in like day-to-day life? Or are you kind of like, good, this is something I can kind of more sit back and relax now that I'm not teaching? Yeah, that's a good question. I haven't really thought about that too much. I think it's probably something that I've practiced to an extent now that I just do it mm-hmm. on my own um, without without thinking about it too much. But, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I, I listen to people when I'm talking to them. But uh, when, I'm, when I'm leading a class, it's, it's very objective-driven, sure. I guess. Like, I know that I'm there to try and help these students have the best conversation that they can and also help them develop really specific skills. So I'm keeping an eye out for whether or not they're interrupting people. Right. Uh, whether or not they're able to connect to what other people have said, mm-hmm. that they can disagree with other people respectfully. Um, and I, I don't think I try and be alert to those things when I'm in a normal conversation. Right, that's because you're, it's not your job. Yeah. I do notice more often, though, when certain people don't talk, I think. And when I'm in a group conversation... When I'm in my classroom, I'm, I'm always kind of hyper alert about that one kid who is not saying anything. Yeah. And I think that sometimes it's fine if a kid doesn't say anything. Totally. That's, that's who I was as They a could kid. be listening and learning. Yeah. Maybe they're like, no, I, I, listen by li- I learn by listening. Yeah. I'll share totally. one thing later. Yeah. Which is great. But sometimes uh, they're not speaking because the conversation's being totally dominated by like two or three other people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think I'm really hypersensitive to that in group conversations. Absolutely. Even outside of I'm, class. I'm going to get at you some water because I realized that the start of our conversation was about feeling hungover. And that <laughs> oh, thank you. Best. Oh, this, this is not floating. Like that from last time. So I'm going to get you water. There we go. There we are. Here's some water. Um, glug, glug, glug. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And I think um, doing this podcast and um, being a part of some other institutions and, and stuff, it's been interesting talking or recognizing and listening back to my podcast, specifically when I've got a female guest on the podcast mm. or um, a person who maybe there is other some type of hierarchical yeah. structure in our society between me and them and catching like... Am I re-engaging with that on the on the amount of conversation that we're having? Like, mm-hmm. am I talking more than them? Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Totally. It's, I would say, actually, so I did the, the podcast with Abby. Mm-hmm. So I did the one with your wife, and yeah. I listened back to that. And even there, I'm like, this is somebody who I have so much respect for in the music world, where mm-hmm. I view her, like, way up there. Yeah. But still, I was like, I am... I caught myself interrupting her a bunch of times. And that was yeah. actually the most, that was to me the one that stood out the most because it's like one of those in my mind, I do hold her to such yeah. a lofty role, right? Yeah. I have so much respect for her and what she's done and, and the work that I've been able to do with her in music. Yeah. And then to just be like, but I'm treating her less than that. Yeah. And it was really like, ooh, I need to check myself. Gosh. Yeah. I mean, that's really cool that you're sensitive to that. And 
it's pretty awesome that you have a tool like the podcast that you can use to actually record yourself and observe that mm-hmm. when you're not in the moment. Yeah. Because I think most people don't have that kind of thing. Right. Unless they're recording their conversations, and then that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's how you get fired yeah. right there. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's cool. It's, it's actually, the podcast almost sounds like it's like this metacognitive tool for you. Oh, it 100% is. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, I, I would say that in, in my classes, it is, I don't know that I've ever had a girl that becomes one of those people who dominates the conversation. Mm-hmm. And this is uh, all the way down to like third and fourth grade. Right. Um, so yeah, that stuff starts happening so early uh, and yeah, yeah, it stinks. It stinks. It's tough. It's, it's, what, do you feel that you've been able to find tools in those settings to, to redistribute that, like, power distribution? Yeah, it's, it's something that I've had to think about a lot, and I don't think I'm, I'm an expert at it by any means, but. It's philosophy, not practice. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) But, um, I think. Sometimes, actually, separating boys and girls can be a good way of allowing girls to have a voice in a conversation, mm-hmm. um, because there's that other group of people which tends to dominate the conversation suddenly mm-hmm. isn't there. Right. Um, but also, I think that a lot of boys are really sensitive to the fact that they're dominating a conversation when you give them a gentle reminder about the fact that that's happening. Yeah. So just pointing out certain things, like saying, I've heard this student talk quite a bit today. I'd love to hear from some other people. Right. Well, and that's the thing is you take any of those like power structures that you're benefiting from nine times out of 10, you have no awareness because it's not causing you pain. Like if that, if I am experiencing no discomfort, like I have to actively empathize with somebody else to get to the point where I'm aware that I'm part of a negative power structure because for me, it's beneficial. Like, woohoo, I get to talk so much. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, especially in like a thing like philosophy, which is typically really male dominated. I try and be sensitive to that, but it's, it's a, it's a constant struggle right Mm. now. The class that I'm leading is like 60% boys and 40% girls Mm. in the, in that concept of like looking for examples for kids do you feel that you've been able to say like hey here are philosophers that are women that I can like bring to the table in these conversations and and look at what they've had to say about some of these subjects good question uh, so, <laughs> sorry now it feels like a little no, bit no, of an no, interview no no I'm, I'm I would totally ask you this if we were not recording ourselves no 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 this, that's a really good question um it it it's challenging because Historically, philosophy has been dominated by old white men. Yes. And when I was in college, I didn't learn about any female philosophers, Mm -hmm. save for one that I learned about in a seminar about free will, which is about kind of contemporary philosophy, Mm -hmm. and one feminist philosophy class. Yeah. So... Just just as a baseline, when I go in to teach my classes, my, my knowledge base therefore is all about the old white men. Right. Um, but in, in this summer class in particular, which is like this five-week class where each week has a different theme, we start off with like metaphysics and epistemology, and then we go mm-hmm. to ethics, and, and in our third week we go to social, political, and feminist philosophy. Right. And when we get there, I, I sort of try and use the, the problematic nature of all of that as a teaching tool. Hmm. And when we get to the point where we, we start studying feminist philosophy, I just ask students, have you noticed anything about all the philosophers that we've been learning hmm. about? And they, they totally notice that they're all, they're all old white men. Mm-hmm. They're all, they're all dead too. Um, <laughs> but there's the real hierarchy. Yeah. All the people in power, <laughs> dead, dead. <people. laughs> That's where I'm trying to get to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> literally every day. Yeah. So, and then, and then we do talk about, I mean, when we're, when we're talk, when we're learning about feminist philosophy, we look at women philosophers, mm. thankfully. And, um, we were, I'm able to weave some other women philosophers into the history of philosophy. There's a really, um, famous 
ethics uh, thought experiment called the trolley problem. Yes. Maybe you've heard of. Yep. That was created by a woman uh, named Philippa Foote. Right. And it's the trolley's coming down the track. It's going to hit, uh, like, I think it's going to hit, like, three people, yeah. and you can pull the lever, and instead it'll go onto another track and hit one person, but you're taking a willful action to kill that person. Yeah. So what is the wrong, like, yeah. what is the right thing to do? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, a problem like that could be introduced in a class as just this, just an ethics problem. Mm-hmm. It's about thinking about moral responsibility and whether or not um, the ends justify the means. Right. But uh, you can also take an opportunity to talk about the person that created that problem. Mm-hmm. And, and actually, it was first envisioned as a way to think about abortion uh, and contraception. Really? So I had no idea. Yeah. Dude, that is such a different way to frame that thought. Yeah. So, oh. um, yeah, I think introducing things like that is a way of starting. So what is make... she, what is she saying then about like the trolley, uh, the trolley scenario as it relates to, to contraception and yeah. abortion? So I haven't, I haven't, really like delved into that in a while but sure if my memory we're serves at the beginning me, of the summer you're about to yeah. get back in to start learning that again yeah if my if my memory serves me correctly uh so the catholic the the woman who created it was catholic i believe and sh- the the problem was meant to illustrate that uh, if you are pulling the lever so mm-hmm. diverting the train away from three people mm-hmm. And it ends up killing and one it, person. Right. And then the scenario of the lever is a penis. <laughs> God, just make Exactly. Just confirming this. Yes. Go on. No. <laughs> it kills three people. Sorry. The penis kills three people. No. Um, yeah, I think the train is probably the penis. The train is the penis, yeah. obviously. <laughs> okay. Um, no, but so if... It, I think that the, the, the point that this philosopher, Philippa Foote, was trying to make was mm-hmm. if you end up... Um, doing something which results in one person being killed in order to save other people, it's not that you are murdering that person, Mm. but that that is an unfortunate consequence of the action that you're taking in Mm. order to save the other people. Right. And so in that case, it would be probably the person who's pregnant. Right. Um, If you're doing something to save that person's life, then that's not a willful act of murder. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's, I think it was a really amazing thing for its time in, like, the 1940s. Sure. Um, that's the 1940s? For a, yeah, for that's a, so a Catholic woman to be yeah. um, advocating for that view and in a really, really powerful way. Mm. But usually when we talk about that problem, it's just about um, whether or not you should <clears throat> kill people or... Right, and so replicable, and it, and it, or not even kill, but, like, the thought of, like, this is this does good for the masses and it does harm to the minority. Is that better? Is that worse? Yeah. 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 So, yeah. It's really fun. I really enjoy teaching that stuff to kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm, that's really, really cool. That's yeah. super fun. Um, I, I think that's so tight and I think it's really interesting because so much of what I think about in those conversations has to do with more of a, a psychological perspective of like, um, are we calling out things like I was talking about before, cognitive, cognitive dissonance? Are we um, catching moments where people are spotlighting or they're using like black and white worldviews, things like this? Um, whereas what you're talking about has, it seems to have more of a debate nature to it where mm. um, people are arguing different points. Mm. Um, and it's still a lot of those concepts are going to be a part of that, but it seems like uh, and I, I mean, within philosophy, it's much more about a, a logic standpoint hmm. in there. Yeah. Um, do you feel like that's true? I think um, m- more than it being about debate, I, I try and frame it. I, I think often philosophy turns into this giant, uh, like, dick measuring contest. Sure. Um, and about, you know, c- formulating ideas in a certain way and then using them to overpower other people's ideas. Mm-hmm. And in that way, it's often about debate. Mm-hmm. I think in my classes, I, I try to frame it more as being about building ideas together. Right. And so it there doesn't have to be disagreement, although I think disagreement pushes people to make their ideas stronger. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, I try not for 
philosophy when I'm when I'm leading the conversation to turn into a debate. Cool. There's this really th- cool thing that I just heard about that's on Reddit. Um, I think I was listening to it on NPR, but I think it's called like Change My Mind or Change My Opinion. Hmm. It's like a, a subreddit, and it's all about um, the concept of someone posts an opinion, <laughs> and then they have to post why they have that opinion, and then the rules of the like that are controlled by the admin are. You can't post. Oh, oh, you got your phone. Phone's in the podcast. <laughs> uh, and then you've got all these um, people posting things They in response to that, and you're not allowed to post if you agree with oh, a person's thing. So there's no, like, kind of echo chamber that can mm. happen as a result. Hmm. Um, you can only post if you disagree, uh, and you, if anyone like, post, they have to be, like, creating a statement of addressing the person's beliefs around why they think something. Because they posted a statement, and then they've posted why they think that. And so you're trying to change their mind, and you're not allowed to attack them or insult them. It's just... That's great. It's really cool. Doesn't that just make sense? Yeah, it's really cool. (laughs) And then if you, literally, if your mind has been changed, you, you, uh, I, what I heard from this is you post, like, Delta at the very end. As a like, like the a word state, delta, yeah, or I, I don't know if it's the symbol or the word, yeah. but it's like the statement of like change. Huh. So like I have changed, or my my perspective on this has changed. That's cool. It's really cool. I've never like they were talking about it in NPR, and they were like, yeah, we've never seen anything like this on the internet. Yeah, because it's just like kind of regulated and kind and like and people engage with it and have held it as a sacred space, and like yeah. if people don't respect it, they're not allowed into that sacred space. Yeah. Wow, that's really fascinating. Cool. Yeah, it's really, really That's awesome. Reddit is a really fascinating thing. Yeah. And that's really cool that that's happening on Reddit. Yeah. A lot of really terrible things oh, are a lot happening of, on Reddit. A lot of terrible things. Like, <laughs> it's like lunchtime, and you're like, oh, I'll just look at, like, me IRL or something <laughs> awful like that. And you're like, oh, this, yeah. is, this isn't terrible. This is just bad. This yeah. is just boring. Yeah. The, I, I honestly have stayed away from Reddit uh, almost completely. But mm-hmm. the last time I was on Reddit, I, I found I just stumbled upon a subreddit that was all about. It in a strangely similar vein to what you told me about, but much worse. Yeah. People will post a picture of themselves, uh, and then the the whole purpose is to post a picture of yourself and just let other people insult you. Oh, it's roast me. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard it. Yeah, I know what this is. Okay. Yeah, I I was just baffled by that. Right. Why would somebody... Yeah, like, what's the psychological, like, impetus to participate in something like that? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know. And that was the last time I was on Reddit. Yeah. And it'll probably be another two years before I <laughs> look at Reddit again. Yeah, it's so <laughs> strange to me. Like, because I think about the concept of roasting someone, or like, you know, in friendship groups, we insult each other. Like, yeah. insults are part of close-knit yeah. communities. Like, but doing it right. Like, and yeah. there's moments where you're like, oh, you've not done this right. Yeah. It's it's very strange. I don't know. I grew up in kind of like a smaller town where, like, I hung out with, like, my older brother's friends. And there was a lot of, like, kind of bully, but, like, not bullying in the sense of we're trying to break you down. More like, uh, we want you to do this back. Hmm. Like, yeah. it's, it's like intellectual wrestling. Yeah. Yeah, but I it's think. not that intellectual because we're a bunch of assholes. But still, like, <laughs> like the concept is still is still there. Yeah, I think like being, uh, kind of, I don't know what the right word is. Mean isn't the right word, but mean or, uh, making yourself vulnerable in that way with like friends can can be something really cool. Mm-hmm. What I saw on Reddit was just totally right beyond it. It. It's a completely These different thing. There is trying no to like rip other people's guts out. Yeah. 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 But that person who posted their picture wanted it. Yeah. Them. In some masochistic format. Yeah. Yeah. It's I, wild. I don't know. It's very strange to me. Yeah. I think that it, it's really interesting. But I think that like kind of going back to like smaller like if if you're in a group, you're working with kids, you're in this class and like one of them insults the other one. Hmm. And it's clearly not okay. Yeah. You're going you're gonna to say something about it. Of course, yeah. But then there's also the moment where that there's two friends 
or two people that you can see are creating a bond and one of them razzes the other one. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? The term mm -hmm. razz and clearly yeah. it has like this connotation with it. Yeah. And you're a lot and like they both laugh and it's enjoyed and the I don't know, it's that moment where you can say like people is that real? Is that truly creating a safer space? Is there a way to to use that? Because I can think about like in this podcast, I'll swear and do a little joke to like tease the mm -hmm. other person yeah. to let them know like, hey, you're it's safe. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and I and I feel that to be true, but I'm I've been thinking a lot about this lately. Is why is that true? Yeah. Because that seems counterintuitive. It really does. Yeah. It's uh, there's a there's a really uh, to the popular philosopher who's really active today and really prolific. Hmm. Who, uh, I'm not necessarily endorsing in any sense, but his name is Slavoj Žižek. Hmm. He's a Slovenian philosopher, hmm. uh, and he talks about how uh, he, he's kind of a cultural critic, and he's a huge communist and Marxist, mm -hmm. and uh, he talks about how racist jokes are actually a really necessary and important part of bonding with other people. Mm. <laughs> um, because he, he talks about how with he and his friends, he'll, you know, he'll have Polish friends and he'll say a few, they'll say a few racial slurs at each other and then they're able to have a normal conversation. And he has kind of like this, um, he, he, uh, he gets a lot of his ideas from this um, psychologist whose name is Lacan. And I mm. think it's about kind of like getting all like the negative. It's, it's like this cathartic idea, I think. Like right. if you can say a few like racial slurs between you and your friends and understand that both of you can get those kind of nasty things out mm -hmm. then you can have this really civil conversation with each other yeah and this i mean i feel so uncomfortable about it i feel so very uncomfortable about it but at the end at the same time i think about where are those people coming from are they are are these two people where one is from a place of power in yeah. that in that society where they are um that race culture is this my race culture is dominant over your race culture? Yeah. So I'm doing these slurs at you, and you're taking this and try and like coming back with other things. Yeah. Or are we both kind? Are we equals in this? And um, what am I trying to say here? Oh, Rob Bell did this great podcast with with Pete Holmes on on You Made It Weird, um, and mm -hmm. he was talking about third way pacifism, um, in mm -hmm. that uh, it's kind of that turn the other cheek doesn't mean like get hit twice yeah. it means that um hmm. in at the, in the society in roman culture at the time like you know your right hand is for doing everything and then your left hand is you know for shit like mm -hmm. that's the hand you wipe with and so um if you like if you slap someone like that's a way of saying you're less than me and you're doing it with your left hand yeah and if you punch someone you're saying that they're an equal <laughs> to you and so actually turn the other cheek, what it's talking about, and like he broke it down beautifully, I cannot, but it's talking about don't make it so that they can slap you on both sides. They can only slap you with one hand. Now mm. they have to punch you. Mm. By turning the other cheek, you are saying, I am defiant and I'm standing here and the only way you can continue to dominate me is to begin to view me as an equal. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it's really <laughs> cool. I was like, I have never thought about that concept that way. That's so yeah. great. And so in that, it's like a, is, you, you think about military culture where people are, are bashing each other back and forth. Is that like brothers saying like we're mm. equals, I can, I, can punch, I can hit you, you can hit me back, okay, we both survive, we can move forward. Yeah. Um, but I feel like, again, that's such a, that's a, a thing that results out of a really broken society. Yeah. Where you assume that you're going to get attacked and destroyed. <laughs> and so you have to say, like, I will attack you back, but I will not destroy you. You will attack me. Like, it's yeah. like, it's like two dogs biting each other, but never killing each other. Yeah. So, and then they're, I don't know. It's yeah. so, I think it's, I, I think that the more I think about it, yes, I do believe that that's true, but I believe that it's a result of a pretty shitty thing. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think Zizek's whole stance is is. I think it is wrong. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's interesting to think that there's like in friendship or human bond, we have to be willing to hurt each other a little bit. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Can't yeah. be walking on eggshells, being passive aggressive. Yeah. I mean, talk about marriage. You're married yeah. now for about a year and a half, two years? Not, it was, we got married in October. What? Yeah. You're not even a year in? Not even a year. I forgot you're yeah. in the October club. Cheers, yeah. man. Oh, cheers. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> what day was it again? October 1st. That's right. We're October 7th. Nice. Nice. You just made it in. <laughs> it just made it into the yeah. October Dude, club. you're coming up on one year. That's so crazy. Yeah, it, it doesn't feel like it's been a year. That's rad. Um, but you're, but similarly, so I do want to keep this idea. You, yeah. in marriage, y- you and Abby must both be willing, not desiring, but willing to hurt and be hurt by one another. Yeah. I, I think, I, I, or I believe, because um, you're going to, is yeah. the thing. Hmm. Um, like, you are going to, to hurt her. She is going to hurt you. Yeah. And there are times where uh, that hurt may be like a, hey, this is going to be hurtful for you, but I think you need to hear this. And I think mm-hmm. that that's the best case scenario. Do I think that happens all the time? Absolutely not. <laughs> Some of the time it's a, oh, you're wearing those pants? <laughs> like, really, Abby? <laughs> you make my butt look great. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, yeah, I, I think I agree with you. I, I don't thought about that too much i i i do like really believe that in any kind of in friendship and beyond friendship uh, it's really important for people to yeah be in a position where they're vulnerable to each other and where they have really high expectations of each other Mm -hmm. and i think those two together can often lead to people being hurt and I i haven't thought about it too much but as you were saying that i'm thinking about all the things in just, I don't know, the past while that can kind of be construed that way. Mm-hmm. Um, recently, especially, we, we have a really kind of interesting dynamic with because Abby leaves on tour all of the course. time. Of course, yeah. And um, I think that that's probably where, like, most of the challenges are and have been in our relationship even before getting married. Sure. I mean, you talk about, like, having no like model for either of you of what it does a good marriage in this type of a structure look like yeah you know yeah 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 and they're probably good models but they're yeah. they're hard to find i think um yeah but she you know will leave on tour and i'll be home alone and i'm i'm an only child and i kind of am really comfortable i actually love being alone completely understand that yeah and tour is really hard uh it's mm. a really difficult lifestyle i think yeah. objectively um and some people for abby you're saying for I, for anybody who is i think just on a, tour objectively it is really hard yeah. and some people thrive in yep. it despite that fact but mm-hmm. when you're driving around in a van 10 to 12 hours a day and then you have sound check, and then you eat, and then you play a show, and then you get to your hotel at two, and then you get back in the van. I think that that's just a, a really, it's it's hard to sustain that schedule and that lifestyle. Sure. And I have a I have a friend that kind of compared it to like the difference between being a hunter gatherer and being like a, like a farmer like nomad like hmm. creating a, a community like by and large the hunter gatherers have like faded. Yeah. into obscurity and like society was taken over by these people that were creating like homesteads and things like that and mm. it's like touring can feel like you're in a community that there are no hunter gatherers but you're supposed to be you're going out you're hunting gathering and then you come back for like a period of time <laughs> yeah. and then you go back out into the wilderness yeah with your music <laughs> wow i haven't thought about it that way but that's a really cool analogy yeah. um yeah so there there are sometimes some difficult moments when we're talking to each other on the phone, and Abby will be on tour and just missing home a lot and missing being us being together. And, you know, we'll get on the phone and I'll just be like, wow, I'm doing so great right now. Mm. I'm thriving. Uh, most re- recently, when she left on the last tour, I got into this amazing routine where I would go to work 
And I would come home and I would write from like four until sometimes like nine o'clock wow. at night. And yeah. then I would watch a movie that I'd gotten from the library and I would cook for myself. Nice. And I would do that every day. And this is kind of like my ideal routine, I think. Mm -hmm. if, if I lived by myself and didn't have any other obligations, uh, that would be like what I did every yeah. day. Mm -hmm. And I somehow made that routine click uh, when she was away on that tour. And when I told her about how happy I was, it was really hard for her, her to hear that. Mm -hmm. Because I think she heard me saying, I'm really happy that you're not home right now. Right. Which is, of course, not what I was saying at sure. all. Uh, but, yeah, those kinds of things are, are tough. Yeah, because, and it's that idea of you're going to hurt her because she's affected by your experience and, like, and she, she has her own experience within that. So it's very, very interesting. And I think it is so unique to have a relationship where someone is in a completely different space yeah. than the other person. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, it's been really interesting talking to more and more folks who, who are in that lifestyle, yeah. um, especially within the arts community, and learning to balance that. And it's just like, it's not formulaic. You, yeah. it, it is every single couple has to find their own independent path, which is true yeah. for every marriage. But in that, I think it is highlighted. And like, you got to figure it out and you kind of got to figure it out fast. Yeah. Yeah, it comes at you quick. Yeah, and I think we get better at it just... Uh, a little bit at a time each mm -hmm. time she leaves on tour we communicate a little bit more about what each of us needs and about what our expectations are um, but it's always just kind of this messy thing because like you said we're in two completely different places at yeah. that point yeah and I feel like phone calls can be so difficult phone yeah. calls can like that's the the truth of it is just like you get on the phone and you have no visual cues I mean thank god for like FaceTime and stuff like that if yeah. you if you can like find yourself in a space but like you know that moment where you're like uh okay I'm gonna call this person sorry I realized my phone was also on I need to, <laughs> I need yeah, to turn that nice. off um but you're in that space with a, another person and you're just like okay calling you you don't know where they're at. They could be surrounded by five other people and be like, hey, I'm in the van right now. Is your yeah. dad as loud as I can talk? <laughs> and you're like, oh, I really wanted to tell you this thing. This is super funny. <laughs> yeah, that's really funny. Um, I kind of got to go. Like, And yeah. that's how it'll feel. Like, And you're just like, yeah. shit. Yeah. 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 I kind of I, I kind of got to go. And then just click. Well, and you're a routine guy. Uh, I try to be. Yeah. In, in my ideal world, I'm a routine guy. But right. I have a hard time maintaining routines. I completely can understand that. Yeah. I think that within that, like finding like a uh, routine often creates ceremony and ceremony creates uh, safety and predictability in life. Yeah. Um, and so like having somebody off on tour and being like, oh, yesterday I called you at six and that worked well. I'm calling you at six. Oh, that didn't work well. Yeah. What time should I be calling? It's different every day. It's completely different every single day. Got it. Okay, cool. <laughs> well, fuck me then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's really hard. Even mm -hmm. small things like, I turn my phone's uh, ringer off usually because I'm teaching. Absolutely. And I'll just that usually means I forget to turn it back on. And because you're not ninety years old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, if I I your your phone went off and I was like I thought it was funny because I I thought that I was like oh yeah. he probably doesn't usually have that on. Yeah. But also like I know so few people that have ringers on their phone anymore mm -hmm. like unless you are working like construction yeah or you are like very old and you yeah. don't you just be like oh. they're obsolete because we just check it every yeah five minutes that's also so. <laughs> i was gonna say because you can feel the vibrations but that's so much more real shit damn yeah yeah sorry so. you were saying you could normally keep your ringer off i normally do just because i'm teaching and i don't want it to ring yeah yeah. But then I'm sure you miss her in those moments. Like, you, she'll oh, try yeah. to reach out, and you'll be like, ah, shit, I missed yeah. that, that golden opportunity. Oh, yeah, opportunity. that's what I was getting at. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, a lot of missed calls. But, yeah, we get better and better at it. We'll, you know, plan a day ahead when we're going to call each other. Good. Figure, make sure it works with our schedules. Try and do FaceTime. There was a point right before we got married where we realized we needed to set, like, a hard rule about when we were going, like, how often we were going to talk to each other. Because um, 
invariably I would be at home and be really content with my lonely, sad routine that I really love just immersing myself sure. in. Mm-hmm. And um, Abby would always be the one who would say, hey, we should talk soon. And it's not that I didn't want to talk to her, but she would always be the first one to bring it up. Right. Um, so we Which we realized, creates, again, a dynamic. It creates yeah. a, uh, like a, a non-consistent power dynamic. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Completely a power dynamic. Mm-hmm. And we we realized we just need to say, like, we'll, we will talk to each other at least every three days when she's mm-hmm. on tour. Yeah. Um, and that that's been working for us great. And it doesn't... It's It seems... I think we were both really reticent to set a rule like that because it felt like then calling each other becomes this obligation and this duty that's not really flowing from our desire to actually connect with each other. Mm-hmm. But I think we both trust that we really want to connect with each yeah. other. And um, it just it eliminated that power dynamic yeah. when we set that rule. Well, you know, I mean, we're coming up, it's wild, we're coming up this October, it'll be five years for us. Mm. Um, and I think that I would say, obviously, we're still a pretty young marriage. Um, you guys are still a young marriage. And I think that I see this in other young marriages as well, is that, like, oh, I don't want to create, or young relationships, whether it's marriage or not, you know, yeah. whatever, sorry. But, like, if, um, that, like, oh, I don't want to, you know, kind of systematize this. I don't want it to become, you know, a thing I have to do or an obligation. I want it to be driven by desire. And that's, that's great. But at yeah. the same time, like, you know, date nights make a big difference. Like, <laughs> like that, like having expectations is important and yeah. like predictability around that. And then, you know, desire can drive you into new places beyond that. Yeah. Um, and, but saying like, but I, I still want to talk this often or you put it into a concept of sex for a lot of people like this is kind of like what feels like an appropriate amount of engagement in something Mm. like this for me and that can be a really tough thing for a a lot of young couples I know like yeah just being like what's the right amount like how often do we have dinner together who's supposed to take out the trash you know shit like this that's just like yeah things that you learn from living with other people and then realize that it can come into all these aspects of relationship where just like people have different concepts of like what's the right amount of all these different things and and how often should these things be happening and yeah yeah and I think I think it's important to remember that even if something becomes systematized that that can be driven by a really strong value for that thing Mm -hmm. and it's not just about creating obligations that you don't really want to or have a drive to participate in it's I think I think it can be a really powerful thing when we decided we needed to talk every three days I think it was because we both had a mutual understanding that that was something we really valued yeah and we knew that at least in my case I think I sometimes forget how much I value that and so just having that that kind of uh I guess I don't know if it's a rule or just a norm Mm -hmm. that we set yeah. Helps me um, just honor that value. Sure. Well, and it comes as a result of communication. You're not like sitting there and saying, hey, we should talk every roll of the dice. Three days. <laughs> there it is. Okay, three. Um, like you are, you're talking about like, hey, what are your, what are your perceptions? What's your like, um, what's your cultural upbringing around what this looks like for you and what that feels like and understanding that and then them asking okay I also want to understand that about you and then coming to a place where wow I guess I guess three once in every three days and yeah. then continuing to adjust and reflect on how is this making one another feel yeah. like that's why you create rules like that mm-hmm. because it comes from a place of expectation I think I see a problem in relationships when people are like we're supposed to have sex once a week why because that's what people do you know, and you're like, okay, <laughs> great. Uh, oh, go, go ahead and do that then. Like yeah. it, it's it's so like you're just like I'm obligated to these, this like quota of yeah. whatever connection point is important to you. Yeah, I think that's the like the scary converse reasoning for setting norms like that mm-hmm. is when you are just scared that your relationship is becoming some kind of uh, societal nightmare. Like, 
Mm. You know, like, that is so well put. Yeah, like marriage in many in many people's minds inevitably turns into this nightmare where two people are just trapped together. Sure. And they, and <laughs> yeah, and they just have to say, we have we have to just have sex once a week, even though we don't really want to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and yeah, setting a certain expectations just because you're worried about the narrative of your relationship and how it will appear to other people. That terrifies me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's really terrifying. <sighs> yeah. So. Go to, if, if that's your situation, therapy's a great place. It's a wonderful <laughs> thing. A lot of people do it. It's yeah. really good. If you're in Seattle, there's a lot of great therapists out here. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Man. <sighs> that's cool. I, I wanted to talk about a little bit, because I haven't seen you since you did the name change. Oh, yeah. We haven't talked about that at all, and that was super interesting to me. I, I feel like I remember seeing something on Facebook about it, but I don't, yeah. really, I don't really know about it. Yeah. Um, is, that, is that something you feel comfortable talking about? Totally. Yeah, yeah I would love to talk about that. It's, I'm, I'm really happy about it and really excited about it. I feel like you did the, you've done, you're finished with all the legal paperwork and actually officially changing it, or is this still something you're working through? I went to court uh, on the 21st and had a judge officially grant my petition for the name change. Right. But of course, there are like a million other hoops I have to jump through. I have to get a new social security card. Mm-hmm. I have to, I basically have to go to every institution I've ever engaged with and tell them that my name is changing. Yep. Dude. Um, yeah. And, and in marriage, that's what people who change their last name, often women have I'm, to do. I know. Yeah. Isn't, and people just are like, oh, you're taking the last name? Yeah. Do you realize what a fucking, like, bureaucratic, like, demand that is? It's oh, are you, going to the, are you going to the DMV for him? Are you going to go to the DMV for him? Like, for a year? <laughs> is that what you're going to do? <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Anyways, so you, you went to court. You got the yeah. petition approved. Yeah, and it was, the whole th- process of going to court was very silly. Um, it, it's basically like you have to go to the the church to have the priests say like we bless your decision to change your name because you you get to court and you sit down in the pews like the the seats in a courtroom are basically pews yes and like the judge sits on like this raised platform and then you have to come to this seat in front of them and they basically just ask like are you a sex offender (laughs) <laughs> and uh, which they should be asking at the church I mean, <laughs> well yeah um are you a sex offender are you under the jurisdiction of the department of what if you created someone like that yeah it it it, it felt really silly um we had to drive all the way to downtown seattle basically right. for me to sit in front of someone and say no i haven't I'm not that person, and no, I'm not a criminal. And then the judge signs the piece of paper, and um, I also had to pay like a, I think it was $170 or something like that. And now I get to do all the paperwork. And yeah, it's ridiculous that half of our population is expected to do that whenever yeah. they want to have a legal union. Yeah. But yeah, Abby, Abby kept her last name, and I decided I wanted to change my last name to my grandmother's maiden name. Mm-hmm. Um, I my Former last name Groshong is something that I inherited from my father, who I don't know at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't seen him since I was like three years old, I yeah. think. So I haven't known anyone with that last name. So it when holds a no, yeah, it's 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 nothing. It's actually it holds like negative sentimental value mm-hmm. because for, for a while it it didn't really mean anything to me. It didn't matter. I actually thought it was kind of cool how I had this unique last name that no one else had. Right, sure. But last year, uh, one of my students, uh, her nanny was picking her up and said, hey, your last name's Groshong. My last name is Groshong. I wonder if we're related. And I was like, we might be related because I have no connection to uh, that part of my family. And I asked... uh, you, you know, what's what's this last name all about? Because I had no idea. I had no sure. idea where it came from or what it meant. And she said, um, well, it actually comes from the French for Gros Jean. And I did study French for four years in high school. And I, know, I knew that that meant Fat John. 
So my last name all my life has been Dustin Fat John. <laughs> <laughs> and after I learned that, uh, I really started to kind of build a little bit of like a distaste for my last name. Sure. <laughs> But it, it wasn't, changing the name wasn't about that. That's just kind of a That's silly. more of an anecdotal yeah. funny story. That's um, really funny. But yeah, I, all my life, um, I've, I've, I have, I've had a stepdad who has had partial custody um, throughout different points in my life, but mostly my mom raised me right. by herself, mm-hmm. and it was just my mom and I, and also we lost my grandma a year ago, which mm-hmm. was really tough. And so it felt like a really meaningful decision when Abby and I were going in and thinking about getting married and what were we supposed to do with names. It seemed like a really good opportunity to change my name into something that would be more meaningful Mm. for me. Um, And names are such a seemingly, I guess, when you don't think about it, there's, I think, this seemingly empty kind of symbolic thing. Um, But after I changed my name, I realized I just felt really excited about my Mm. last name. And I feel like the sense of belonging and connection to the family that I've known my whole life. Mm. And I guess maybe I say that it's seemingly empty because that's how I felt about my last name. Right. I don't know. Do you feel... You, I feel I feel very kindred to my last name. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's probably something that's unique to my experience. Yeah. But, yeah. But so. I think I think that it has to do. You know, it is. It's a token of family. Yeah. And if that token represents, like, it's like a, a token of a false god that you know is a false god, or a token mm. of um, something that never really existed, versus a token of truth. Yeah. And like, what does it represent when you look at that? icon where does it bring your mind to yeah and like if you have a negative connotation it's like carrying uh like a a cursed charm with you or something Mm. like that yeah man i love your analogies thanks man yeah i think a cursed charm is actually an antithesis but that's (laughs) all right yeah i mean yeah anyway it it's really cool to have the same last name as my mom now and uh recently i've been working on a lot of writing stuff and um, so Noah's releasing a, oh, actually, I don't know if I'm allowed to say, Noah's coming up with a new album, and I've been doing a lot of writing, and some of that's going to be incorporated into, like, the packaging for oh, that. really? And, uh, he showed me a preview of what the packaging is going to look like, and it, it has my writing, and it has my, my name on there. Cool. And it just, it's, it feels amazing to see, yeah, my new name, Dustin Stoddart, on there, mm. and... To feel like I'm a part of a family and representing this family, and I don't know, it's it feels kind of a little bit like I've morphed into a slightly different person. Hmm. Um, so, it's it's really awesome. Stoddard, Stoddard, yeah. With Just, a nice with a nice hard T at the end. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's great. Yeah. What it and then, it's not it, that doesn't mean Fat John. What is no. do you? What is the <laughs> no. like entomology? Is that the right word? I don't know. Etymology? Yeah, etymology. Uh, I haven't done a ton of research into it. I think it was a Scottish clan. Cool. Uh, so it's a Scottish last name. But to yeah. you, it doesn't represent a Scottish clan. It represents your grandmother. Yeah, my grandmother and my mom has that name too. When mm. my mom uh, got divorced, she changed her name to that. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a really important name for our family. It kind of reminds us of... Yeah, it's. I think it's a really powerful symbol of like motherhood in our yeah, family, which great. I love incorporating into who I am. That's so beautiful. No, yeah. and I I completely. So my so Zook is like a straw is a very common Amish and Mennonite name, and mm-hmm. like my grandfather, um, uh, off on the Zook side, like came out of that world and like carried a lot of those concepts with him that I think seeing that in him influenced me like um sobriety for a long period of time uh Mm. uh preferential treatment for the poor Mm. um and pacifism like these are these were these are and have been like strong concepts in my life yeah and those are what it i think that the, the those are what it represents and seeing him as an example of accomplishing those things and like he was a 
he was a doctor who would like sail into communities and like be a doctor but then he was also a family doctor in this small town who just like you know family practice in the middle of nowhere where yeah it's like you know you do literally every different type of thing that you could need to as mm-hmm. a doctor um and just constantly being at their how home and seeing him open his doors to anybody and like going over to their house for dinner and being like who is this stranger that we're eating with um and it could be anyone someone from the street someone from like really high up in the community like it could be anybody somebody that's crashing at their house because they have nowhere else to live and I was like I always thought like that's that's living well Hmm. that's taking what you have breaking off half of it and giving it to somebody else like that is and that's so much to me what that name is so like Heather and I talked a lot about changing last names and are we going to pick a new one and I was just in this place where I was like it's important to me to retain this yeah in no way do I want to force you to change your last name Mm -hmm. but I don't want to lose this because it means so much to me yeah and then she I believe like in her conversations this is you know over five years ago was like yeah I want to be a I want to join you yeah I see what it means for you Uh uh-huh um but we, you know, for a lot while she was even like, oh, what if we create a new one completely from scratch? Hmm. And it was exciting for a little bit, but at the end of the day, I was just like, I can't give this up. Yeah. I care too much. I can't abandon it. Yeah. Yeah. So you kind of attach, like, kind of the the ethos of, like, your ancestors mm-hmm. to your name. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, that's 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 really cool. I, I'm, Yeah. It's that's something that I've never thought about my entire life, and it's really exciting and really fascinating to me. I, I feel like a more... I feel like I have become more of the person who I'm supposed to be. Mm. It's just kind of a sense of that's, belonging. That's just the most beautiful concept that can <laughs> exist. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that it's, it's really important, and I, I realized that I just kind of... Yeah, I don't know. It's There's just kind of this sense of, like undefinedness about uh, my own identity and it's not it's not a huge part of my identity but it's amazing like the kind of relief I think I felt when I when I changed that highly just symbolic sound that's attached to my name <laughs> yeah symbols matter yeah that's cool um, yeah. I'm excited about that project I'm excited about what you've been writing you've been kind of alluding to the fact that you've been writing pretty consistently is this something that outside of using it to highlight somebody else's projects are you putting out your own projects or do you have like a drive to like here's how I want to represent the things that I'm creating yeah really good question so I've I've been interested in writing for a while it's it's one of those things where I I've always thought it would be cool to be a writer Um, when I was in high school I started a writing club and um, I've I've tried blogging for a long time and it's it's just been something I've always been really interested in but never really saw an avenue to be serious about it and also just doubted my ability to really be that good at it hmm. um, but over like the last maybe five or six years I've had a few people who've really inspired and encouraged me to continue doing that uh, Abby especially, getting sure. to know someone who's an artist full-time, yeah. which I'd never, I didn't know any really serious artists sure. before I met Abby. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden I was immersed in this community of people who are intuitive artists and who are so driven to create art. Man, and that's, I, I completely agree. Like that is so much why I do this podcast is because it's like a, I want to believe that I can do these types of things in mm. the in the way that's right for me. That yeah. the, for me, that doesn't mean giving up everything else and just doing that art form. It means finding balance in my life. But for somebody else, it could mean something different. And I love to create this podcast so that people can like hear conversations with people who are doing these things or trying to be like, oh, because it, it can be such a like, I want to, after the show, talk to that person and understand what it's like and just have a conversation. Yeah. And so I think that it's just like, be a part of that community. Yeah. And you so much have been empowered by that relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I I think there's, there's a common phrase just that you, you can't, 
you can't. Uh, I don't know it, uh, but you can't. It's common. It's a phrase. It's, it's, someone else, the future ghosts will probably uh, have heard it. You know, that's right. You uh, listen. Yeah. Oh, I'm a huge fan of this podcast. Thanks for the reasons you that you just me. explained. You've and you've been so kind about it. Yeah. Um, but that you can't really be what you can't see. Right. Uh, and I think for a lot of people who aren't around artists, they have this way of kind of idolizing them and thinking that they are just these divine creatures who somehow channel art um, mm-hmm. mystically. Right. And sometimes artists do. But I think when I suddenly was around artists all the time and I realized that they're human beings who work hard and sort of leverage a little bit of self-confidence mm-hmm. and that that's kind of the jumping off point, uh, I think I felt a little bit more confident trying to write more. Good. And I posted a lot of things on blogging platforms like Tumblr, <laughs> which I'm not going to share. <laughs> but um, but it still exists? It exists. So someone could really dig deep and find yeah, it? If you're I... one of those internet sleuths, you could find it. Um, and I got a lot of positive feedback from people on there. There were a few people who were consistently following my blog and uh, really engaging with me. I started it around the time I was about to do a lot of traveling on my motorcycle. Right. And that was kind of an avenue for me to start Which is writing. such a huge thing. We didn't even talk about that yeah. at all. That you did, huh? Yeah. 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 Um, but, and then my best friend, Stefan, uh, has always been interested in writing too. And it's funny because we've known each other since fifth grade. Mm-hmm. And we always seem to go through these life stages together. And I don't think we're just copying each other, but um, he got married about a year before I did. Mm-hmm. And um, he really seriously started writing when I was in college. Hmm. And he's gotten to this point where he writes probably like, 10 pages a day and he's working on his second novel now Mm -hmm. seeing how he's been able to just sit down every day and work on writing and get serious about it find an editor send things out to publishers I think all of that has just been really inspiring and um, yeah and then eventually Noah reached out and he said I want I want you to um, describe this album Mm. and I started just creating stuff I wrote some like these fictional vignettes that are going to be attached to the packaging of the vinyl. Cool. And I've been working on an album bio and coordinating with a publicist Mm. about that. And that has been so... I just feel like I'm on fire right now. Dude, Um, that's so great. Yeah. And I feel like that's... It seems like it's because it's a medium that is saying, like, I've put in the exercises, I've been doing the daily workout, and now when faced with a challenge that's maybe, that's unfamiliar, I have, you know, the chops to say like, okay, you want something like critique this, edit it, but I can, can, I can put out enough content and can manipulate what I'm working with because I've been, I've been engaging in the daily practice of respecting this writing. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'm getting to that point. I still feel a little bit like an imposter. Good. Uh. (laughs) I really think that that's one of the most important things is constantly feeling like, I'm not, I feel a little bit foreign and I'm, I'm kind of faking this. Really? Yeah. No, I completely think that that's important because if you don't, then you're going to start phoning it in. Like Mm. I know the moments where I'm like, I'm really great at this. And then I get lazy. Yeah. Like feeling like you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. I better put in a little extra effort. Like that is a good thing. Like a little bit of like nervousness can be healthy. Yeah. I think, I guess... I'm, I'm just excited for the time when I have a little bit more of a sense of when what I'm writing is, uh, like, bold and creative as opposed to just stupid and sad. <laughs> <laughs> like, dude, uh, dude, that's ridiculous. Um, I haven't read... Uh, maybe... I don't know. I haven't read it. Maybe it's shit. Yeah. Maybe it's total shit. Yeah. I assume, because I know you, that those are not true... Like, yeah. But that's that's that. that's kind of the irrational. I sure, think. sure, sure. You know, I I you you write things that are kind of like esoteric and a little bit hard a a little bit hard to access. I think, and mm-hmm. you're. I think sometimes I'm not sure if I'm just writing mumbo jumbo or if other people are going to see that and be like, "Wow, this is challenging and compelling." And 
I, I worry about that a little bit. And mm. I think the more I, I get involved with that kind of thing and the more I share what I'm writing, I think I'm going to get better at that. But it's really interesting to hear you say that it's important to feel a little bit like an imposter because it stretches you. Yeah, I, I really do think that. I think that um, if you feel fully like this is me actualized, then you're probably not pushing yourself. Yeah. Um, and that's something that I'm kind of hitting myself with right now is the where do I feel comfortable. Hmm great, make myself feel uncomfortable in that. Yeah. And I think that it's having constantly some areas of comfort and some areas of discomfort. So that way you can exercise in those moments and like challenge yourself in others and yeah. just constantly be, be pushing in that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, dude. I am so excited to see that. Do you, uh, you didn't even know if you were allowed to talk about that. So I assume that you can't talk about I was about to say when... the, re the release date for all that was, but you that's a, I think the announcement is coming very soon, cool. and then some of that writing is going to start entering the world. So Awesome. Yeah. I am excited to learn more about that. You should keep me appraised, and I will be happy to continue to update other people. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for people to see it. Um, I've been seeing, like, the website that's um, being developed and the way some, as it stands now, it might not turn out like this because it's all in development, but... Some of my writing in snippets is posted around the new website that's going to be released, and I've been reading stuff and just thinking, like, wow, did I write that? Uh, so I'm, I'm really proud of it, and I don't know that I've ever created something artistically like that and been this confident about putting it into the world and mm. having other people engage with it. I think something has to do with being partnered with something you believe in. Like, yeah. when your art form is in the gallery side by side with another art form that means a lot to you, yeah. that can really make you be like, damn, I'm doing a fucking great job. <laughs> I am killing it right now. Yeah. I yeah. can't wait. I cannot wait. That's so great. Yeah. Cool, dude. Well, is there any other stuff that you felt like you really wanted to make sure went out into the world? Uh, I don't think so. No. You ride yeah. motorcycles? I ride motorcycles. Motorcycles are really fun. Yeah. Everyone should do it if they if they want to. Don't do it if you don't want to. Because then you might get hurt. Does it ever feel like you're riding a bike and like you're going too fast on the bike and you're like, what, I'm a little bit wobbly? Or do you feel like pretty like, <laughs> do you feel pretty much like I am centered? There's um, no way I could fall down. That's always what I thought. This is my child yeah. brain about yeah. what if I'm riding a motorcycle and I just it's not in. the bike keeps itself up yeah, yeah i assume this yeah this is one of those like embarrassing questions to ask no no, like, no it's it shouldn't be embarrassing i think it's intuitive right it's just that riding a motorcycle in many ways is really counterintuitive yeah i think and that's one of the things that i love about it is that um actually when you're riding a bike your inclination in any kind of dangerous situation is to react with like a number of kind of fear mechanisms, right. whether it's like clenching up, getting really tight, looking towards the thing that is scaring you and you don't want to hit. Mm -hmm. And actually, if you um, just realize that like the motorcycle wants to keep itself up, uh, that you'll go wherever you're looking. Nice. Um, basically, if you can stay centered, uh, everything's, everything's fine. Um, it's actually clenching up that causes motorcycles to fall over hmm. and and stuff i don't know if that's a great explanation i think that's also a good analogy to pretty much everything else that we've talked about so far yeah yeah <laughs> totally i think we have like a lot of knee-jerk fear reactions to a lot of things and if we can stay calm and look where we want to go we can we can ride through those those uh rocky turns yeah dude preach <laughs> i feel it cool dude well cheers yeah thanks man yeah dude.